So I'm going to start this off with a little bit about who I am. Some of you, probably today is maybe the first time you've met me. Uh, for some of you, this is probably the first time you've ever heard me speak. Um, and my name is Chris Overfield. I've been on staff here for about three and a half years. I spent most of my life as an aircraft mechanic and as a machine repairman, okay? But depending on who you talk to, they would have a different perspective of who I am, okay? And some people you would talk to might say that I'm very, how do I say this? Intense at times. Um, I can be very focused on a task. I'm task-oriented, okay? And that I might walk past somebody to accomplish my task. That's something we're working on. Um, but it's other people would say, depending on the situation, the exact opposite of that. They say, you know, this guy's a guy that cares. He'll spend time with me and, and discuss things with me, okay? It all depends on that relationship that you have with me. If you ask, you know, to my parents, I'm a son. To my kids, I'm a father or a dad, okay? Um, my grandkids, I'm either papa or grandpa, okay? It all depends on that perception as far as what that relationship you have with me, who you see me as, how you perceive me to be. And probably if you talk to my wife, we've been married for 37 years. She knows me probably better than I know myself. So depending on the day, you might get a different story on her, but I think that's just a woman's thing. Um, but anyway, recently I was asked about my opinion of a different individual. This is an individual I had never met. And I had heard different information about this people from various sources. And I told him, I said, I have no idea because I've never met that person. So how can I have an opinion of that person if I've ever actually personally met them and spent some time with them? If you talk to Andy or Mike, both of those guys have spent time with me, but in different realms. You know, I've been on, was on council with Mike for a long time. So he sees that side of me, you know. He sees the side of the administration side as for, as with church. If you talk to Andy, Andy and I not only have a relationship as far as I oversee the team that he runs, but also, we've worked together with the facility team and stuff, and we spent a lot of time together. So he has a different perception of me, okay? Some of you, like I say, if you just met me today, you're probably sitting there going, I have no idea who you are, and that's okay. We're, we're, we're trying to reveal some of that. Um, one of the things, just so you know, if you haven't met me before, is I tend to get very emotional. I will try to keep that under wraps, but sometimes I'm successful and sometimes I'm not. Um, so anyway, let's go to our, our main scripture today. We're going to look at Matthew 16. We're going to go 13 through 20, but we're going to start out with 13 and 14. And it says, when Jesus came to the re region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jer Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets, Okay. So this is what other people were saying about Jesus, even though they had seen him minister and stuff, and yet there, there's something missing here, okay? And people didn't see him necessarily as the Messiah, okay? And this was actually, we were going to spend a lot of time on this section today, 
And then things started shifting a little bit during the week. And yesterday changed a lot. <laughs> uh, so anyway, because actually what I'm going to read to you real quick is what they didn't say. If we go to Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, it says, For a child is born to us. This is Isaiah prophesying over who Jesus is going to be. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice for, from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. You didn't hear that when they described who they saw Jesus to be. But let's go on in Matthew 6, uh, 16 through 17 there. Actually, it's 15. Sorry. Uh, I says, then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And the reason I mention that is there is a thing when you can ask other people about somebody, okay? There is a part of that that when you are asked, who do you say that Jesus Christ is, matters, okay? That is a fundamental building block on what we're going to talk about today. And because it depends on if you have that personal relationship with him on how you perceive the rest of the message today. If you do not have that relationship, it doesn't matter what your mom and dad taught you or your grandparents. It doesn't matter what Pastor Scott or myself or any other pastor or any other leader speaks to you in your life. It's a matter of who you say Jesus Christ is. He's either the Christ or he's not. And the reason that makes a difference is because if I give my opinion or speak into somebody's life and you don't respect me, and it's not any, you know, that you have to. I'm just saying that if you don't respect that and you don't understand that authority that's there, then you can disregard whatever it is that I say. Okay? You've all had people probably in your life that have sat there and spoken into your life at different times. And some people you really listen to because you valued their, that opinion. But there are people that you've had people speak with in your life and you're sitting there and you completely blow off what they say because you don't respect them. So this first part of this is, is just that part, is that you have to understand and decide who Jesus is. Is he the Christ or not? Basic, simple question. And that's something I can't determine for you. It's something that you have to determine for yourself because it depends on, on that, on whether or not you're going to listen to what he speaks to you. Okay? Let's go on down with the next one there, Andy. And Jesus replied this. He said, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and upon the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the king keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Okay? So it was interesting that the first thing that Peter did was he acknowledged Jesus as a Christ. And then Jesus spoke into his life. Because I think that was an important step that he had to understand who he was to, understand, to be able to receive 
what it was that Jesus was about to speak to him. I mean, if you're Peter right now, you're on top of the world. Hey, whatever I forbid on earth is forbidden in heaven. I got some awesome powers. Okay? I've got the keys to unlock all these different things. There's a lot of power and authority that was bestowed upon him at that point. But did Peter completely understand what Jesus was talking to him about at that time? And this is where we're going to go today. And it wasn't completely revealed. And, and just like with, with this, he's on this high of, I think, I, at least I would be really flattered if Jesus came up to me and, and gave me that revelation about who I was. But you know what? He's actually spoken to you guys. And you struggle with it. And I, want, and I think part of that is because is we don't have a full understanding of who Jesus is. Okay? Let's look at um, 1 Corinthians 2, 6, 16 there. And this is talking about this whole idea of revelation. And it talks about, when I was among the mature believers, I did not speak words of wisdom, not, but not, I'm sorry, I do speak with words of wisdom, not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. Know the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God, his plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would have not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scripture means when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except the person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not with the world's spirit, so that we know the wonderful things that God has freely given to us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds like foolishness to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. For those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach Him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. So you have this whole picture here. that There is a, a thing called revelation knowledge. Things that God reveals to you at times. That does not come from human understanding. And sometimes we let our own wisdom, our own thoughts, the things that we've been taught, interfere with that. Let's look at the next portion. And this is in 1 Corinthians um, 13, 9 through 13. It says, now our knowledge, and he's talking about this revelation stuff. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. Even the gift of prophecy only reveals part of the picture. Okay? But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see these things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in the mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God 
now knows me completely. Three things that will last, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of is love. And what I want to bring out in this, so Peter has this understanding, right, that God has spoke these things to him and revealed these things to him, but he didn't have the whole picture, okay? Later on, Peter would go and he would deny Christ three times, shortly, not that much longer in, in the future. And you would sit there and sometimes we get hung up on our failures, but that didn't catch God by surprise, okay? God knew what he was talking about when he gave him this prophecy to start with. When he revealed these things to him, he already knew that. Something else I want you to think about is that a word from God is not finite. It is infinite. And what I mean by that is a lot of times that word, the way we understand it today may change through the years. It's not that the word actually changes, but our understanding typically changes of that. And we sometimes, if we're not careful, when God speaks something to us, we get this picture in our mind of what it's going to look like, and we think, hey, let's go. And we don't understand that there's actually God wants to continue to reveal things to us as we walk that out. And that's important. We have to understand that. Because if you don't understand that portion of it, when it doesn't look like you think it should have looked like, you're going to struggle. Okay? At least I do. And that's because we have our perceptions of what it's going to look like. And then when it doesn't, we think that, okay, I missed it, whatever. And yet God's reminding us that, hey, this is what I spoke. My word will be completed. And... Let's do an example of what I'm talking about here. John 18, 1 through 10, okay? This is at, Jesus has just been in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's just spent hours praying. He's asked the disciples to pray. Sorry, pray. Um, to pray. And um, yet, this is, this is what follows immediately after that. It says, after saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kirtland Valley with his disciples and entered the grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus often had gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at this olive garden. Jesus fully realized what was going to happen. You know, he just spent time. He was kind of saying, God, hey, I don't want to do this. But I will if that's what you want. So Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. So he stepped forward to meet them. Now, how many people, if the police are coming to your house to, to, to get you, are going to sit there and open the door and welcome them in? You know, most of us are going to probably go out the back door. Um, but that's not what Jesus did. He sits there and goes, who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Jesus who betrayed him was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground, which I think is hilarious. I mean, you sit there and the cops come to your door and you think, hey, come on in. And they all jump back because they don't know what's going to happen. Um, but anyway, once more he asked them, who are you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of the ones that you have given me. Simon Peter drew his sword and slashed off the right ear of Malachus, the high priest slave. 
Why did he do that? He had an understanding that Jesus was the Christ, right? He didn't necessarily have an understanding of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb at this point. His thing, I, I, I believe that Peter's heart was, I need to protect him, okay? I need to help him do what his mission is. Was he helping him or was he getting in the way of it? If he'd went through there and slaughtered all those people and protected Jesus from this group of people who wanted to take him and crucify him, that wouldn't have worked out so well for the rest of us, okay? And sometimes if we're not careful, because we have a partial revelation of why God speaks to us, we can step out with a very good intention, and yet we will sit there and get in the way of what God has spoken to us. So, and that's where I sit there and say, I want to just encourage you. When God speaks something to you, keep going back to it, okay? You have to be able to sit there and ask God to continue to reveal those things to you and continue to, and even correct where your misperceptions of those things are. We're going to look at John the Baptist here. And I'll just tell you where it's at. And I encourage you all to, to read Luke chapter 1. I never really spent a lot of time in there. I mean, I've kind of perused the, the thing. But basically what it's talking about in chapter 1 there, that his father, Zechariah, went into the temple, okay? And it was, he got chosen by Lot to go in and burn incense before the altar, okay? This is Old Testament when they, they would do this on, a, I believe, a daily basis. And but my point being is that when he went in there, they actually, my understanding is they used to tie a rope onto these guys' feet. And they put bells on their robes. And the reason for that was that if they went in there and there was sin in their heart, that sometimes they didn't come back out. That they would actually die. And when they quit hearing the bells, it was time to kind of pull and see if they had anything on the other end of the line. And, but my point being is that, so Zachariah is in there. No one ever went into this area. You weren't allowed to, and except for the, for the priest. So he goes in there, and this angel's in there. Now, if you don't expect somebody to be somewhere, and they're there, it's probably going to get your attention, and it did. It got his attention, and this angel starts talking to him about, hey, you know, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John, and list all these things that he's going to do that he's going to prepare the way for the Lord, that he's going to be a prophet, that he's going to return Israel's heart to God. And Zechariah is sitting there going, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm old, okay? My wife's barren. This isn't going to happen. And I thought it was kind of funny that a couple of things with that was that one, he specified that was with his wife. And the reason I mentioned that is because in the past at times when God would speak somebody, something like that, that sometimes people would take it upon themselves to sit there and try and fulfill what God had spoken, okay? Sometimes we can do that. We sit there and we start trying to do things in our own might, in our own wisdom. Relax. Let God show you what to do, okay? But anyway, because he questioned Gabriel, um, he didn't get to talk until his son was born, okay? And... I think that's interesting because later that he will go on and he, when his son is born, one of the first things that happens is he is filled with the Holy Spirit 
and begins to prophesy over his son again and tell all these things that his son's going to do, okay? Then in verse 80, John grew up and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to, to Israel. Now, if I'm a parent and I have a, I think it's prodigal type son or daughter, and they have been gifted, and there's all these things that have been prophesied over them. What am I going to do, typically? I'm going to sit there. I'm going to make sure they have the best education they can get. I'm going to steward over their lives the best I can. And I'm going to send him to the best school, okay? And yet this isn't what his parents did. From what we can tell from here, that he actually separated himself from the leaders of the day. Now, his dad was a priest, so I'm sure he got a lot of teaching from his dad. But there was part of that that I think there had to be a separation that he was not influenced by the religious teachers of his day. And the reason I mention that is sometimes, if we're not careful, we can be influenced by those around us and not follow exactly what God's called us to do because we try to figure out in our own wisdom. In John 1, 29 to 34, this is the next time that we know that they meet as far as Jesus and John. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed a long time before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah. But I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, this is what God had spoke to him. He said, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So there is no question in John's mind. He knows that Jesus is the Christ, right? Yet, let's read on a little bit further, okay? In, and I'm going to start this with, with an incident that happened just before this. In Matthew 9, 9 through 13, Okay? It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disruptive sinners. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Then Jesus heard this. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifice, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So there was this whole paradigm of, you know, John sitting there, he's thinking, okay, this guy's the Messiah. And yet he's, not only did he go and eat with these people, He called one of the lowliest forms of um, jobs that you can have of a tax collector. Because not only were they considered traitors because they collected taxes for the Roman Empire, 
they also had a tendency to take a cut for themselves. So they would overtax you to pay for their own lifestyle. Okay? And so here you have, you know, if you're going to call somebody to be your disciple, are you going to call somebody who has no ethics? Are you going to call somebody who is sitting there taking advantage of people all the time? That makes no sense to you. Because the scriptures following, immediately following that is in 14 through 17. It says, one day the disciples, John the Baptist, came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? And Jesus replied, wedding guests mourn while celebrating. I'm oh, sorry, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast. Besides, who will patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth leaving an even bigger tear than it was before. And no one puts new wine in old wineskins, for the old wineskins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. And the point to that is, I think at this point, there is at least his disciples. It doesn't say that John sent them at this point, but obviously his disciples knew of what Jesus was doing. Now, I mean, he probably heard the stories of him talking with women, talking with Samaritans. Who does that? You know, you're not even allowed to do that. And yet, this is the stuff that Jesus was doing. He was going around and healing the sick. Some of those people were lepers, okay? You weren't allowed to touch a leper because it was contagious. That was one of the things that they had in place at that time was you couldn't do that. If you did, you had to go out and stay outside the camp for, I think it was seven days or whatever, make sure you didn't pick it up. But my point being is, he was breaking all these rules. He did not look very messiahly. I don't know, that's a word I just made up. But the point being is that he didn't look like he thought that he was going to. And John's disciples were struggling with that. Okay? Let's read on a little bit further. Matthew 11, 1 through 6. Now you have to understand, John's in prison. John the Baptist is in prison. Okay? I think he understood that he probably was not going to leave there. And he goes there and he's asked this question. He said, when Jesus had finished giving these instructions, his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in the towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, probably the good and the bad. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? And Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead <clears throat> excuse me, are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. So I think he was encouraging John that say, hey, you know, you lived your life, you did exactly what God had called you to do, and yes, I am the Messiah. But there was a question in John because I don't think that Jesus looked like he thought he was going to, and he struggled with that, okay? And we go on to, let's take somebody else. Let's look at Saul. Now, Saul's the guy, you remember, that had sat there when Stephen was stoned, and he held the coats of those that were stoning him, okay? After that happened... He was, he was ecstatic. He wanted to eradicate Christians off the face of the earth. They were a threat to his lifestyle. They were a threat to his religion and everything he believed in. 
And this wasn't a guy who just happened not to like people. This is a guy who was taught by one of the top teachers of his time. It's like going to Harvard or Yale to study a, a, a certain thing. And you are being taught by the best of the best. And so he's sitting there, and here's Jesus, and Jesus doesn't look and line up with why, the way he thinks the Messiah is going to look like. So he wants, with a, and I, I'm going to use the word, a good heart. He wants to eradicate the Christians off the face of the earth. Okay? And then he's, one day he's going to Damascus, and his whole purpose of going to Damascus was to do what? He was going to go and round up the Christians. He wanted to put them in prison. He wanted to kill them. Okay? He has an encounter with Christ on that road. And when that happens, everything changed. All of a sudden, you know, it talks about when Ananias came and um, prayed for him that something like scales fell off his eyes. Probably not just his physical eyes, but his spiritual eyes. Things opened up. He immediately goes out and starts preaching, okay? But then let's look a little bit further at what he does. Let's look at Galatians uh, 1, 12 through 18. It says, I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it, received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jews, Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. Even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Now, he has an understanding that God had already called him, even though he wasn't acting in what God had called him to do at that point. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about the Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were the apostles before I was. Instead, I went away to Arabia and later returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. And his point to this whole thing is, I didn't go to the disciples and get all my training. And we look at how much of the New Testament this man wrote and how much it, it coincides with everything else, the, the, the disciples that were actually with Jesus wrote, it is, it is, it, they mirror each other, okay? And yet he's telling us, I did not receive this from them. And so, there's a whole thing there of revelation knowledge that God had showed him that he had to receive, okay? And I want to remind you again, it's one of those things where I don't think that it was a one-time deal. It wasn't like, okay, he had, this, he had this vision, an encounter, I should say, on the road to Damascus, and that was it. There was more to it to that. He sat there and spent three years listening to what the Holy Spirit was teaching him, listening to what Christ was teaching him. And that's important to understand, that he wasn't sitting there just taking off and going. In Romans, I want to remind you of this. In Romans eleven twenty-eight to 29. It says, many of the people are now enemies of the good news, and this benefits you Gentiles. Yet they are still people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts 
and his call are never withdrawn. I want you to remember that. Because we're going to continue on with this today. Sometimes we think, I've messed up. God can't use it now. I want to encourage you. You didn't surprise God by some of the choices you made. Okay? You didn't surprise God by doing the different things. He knew that even when he called you. Okay? You know, last week we did this whole thing on silence and solitude. Pastor Scott talked about it. Okay? I spent some time in silence and solitude this week. Um, this message, I knew that we were going to, I was going to be speaking um, for about probably a month or so, but I didn't really get too involved with it because sometimes I've given a direction Pastor Scott would like me to go, and sometimes he doesn't tell me until the week of. So anyway, I wasn't going to spend a whole lot of time in it, and, but there would be little nuggets that came along, and I had a general idea of where we were going to go today. And then Pastor Scott and I had talked about my message on Thursday, and then Friday morning he comes in, and I, I actually do a run-through as far as actually speak it to see how timeline where we're at and see how it, if it all flows or not. And he came in about three-quarters of the way through it, and he starts asking me these questions. Well, I thought we were doing this. I thought we were doing this. I thought we were doing this. And I was like, no, I gave you my notes. And my point to that is it threw me off. I waited for probably an hour, went and did some other stuff. I came back in and got ready to speak the last portion of it. And it was completely vaporized. I mean, I can't explain it any different than that. It was like, this, none of this makes any sense anymore. And then, so I spent some time when I came in on Saturday morning. You know, you got to speak on Sunday. You know how hard it is to quiet your mind <laughs> when you got, you're sitting there going, okay, God, you've completely got this up in the air now. You need to show me what it is you want me to speak. And it really didn't take that long. I was surprised. Um, he reminded me of something. About 25 years ago, we were in a care group. We actually led the care group with another, uh, two other couples. And after one of our meetings, or maybe, maybe during, I'm not sure, um, this spirit-filled couple came up to us and I want to pray for you. It's like, okay. Which was kind of unusual for, for that as far as, because it wasn't part of the service. You know, it wasn't part of the, the meeting per se. And they said, and they started speaking Ezekiel 47. I think it was the first 12 verses. And it talks about, um, you know, this river that flows out of the altar and it flows to the east and it flows to the south. And, you know, it talks about these fruitful trees and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking, None of that makes any sense to me. I can't understand even what you're even thinking about. But there was part of me that knew that, you know, please hear what I'm going to say. I never wanted to move south or east. Okay? I just didn't. I always wanted to go north or west from a kid. And yet I think there was a part of me that understood at that point, you will go south and east. I lived in Indiana at that time. And it was like, but I don't want to go there. Little did I know that, and I worked at U.S. Air at the time. I had a very good career as an aircraft mechanic. I was making good money. 
I was doing well at my job, and I couldn't imagine doing anything else. A year and a half or so later, um, U.S. Air's management decided that they no longer wanted the hangar in Indianapolis. And I had to move. So we actually went to Pittsburgh because I didn't want to go south. And uh, we spent our anniversary weekend there. It was the most miserable weekend I've ever had. Uh, I was sick. You know, we, we sat there and tried to find housing, and it was just like nothing worked. Lisa was supposed to go to nursing school. She would just gotten accepted. And it didn't match. We couldn't find anything. A couple weeks later, we come to Charlotte. We go to Concord. And in one weekend, we buy a house on a handshake, literally. The guy was from Canada. I don't know if they, most builders do this. <laughs> but... Uh, we happened to walk into a house, it was on a Saturday, and just kind of see what this neighborhood looked like, and we had looked at this, looked at this house. Now, this house is under construction, and what I mean by that, I don't even know that it had a roof on it yet. Um, we, we had some of the walls and stuff were starting to go up, but I, like I say, I don't think the roof was even on it. And he comes walking up to us and talks to us, and he says, uh, we come to a price, and we literally shook our hands and said, okay, we'll let the realtors get involved tomorrow or on Monday. My wife had went into the... Sorry. First college she went into was CMC Mains College. And she walks out and says, that's where I'm going. And I'm going, no, we got four other schools we're going to. She goes, I'm telling you, we're wasting our time. I said, no, we're going to go to these other schools. It might have looked good, but we're going to go to these other schools. We go to the next school. She walks out and says, I'm telling you, we're wasting our time. Okay. Sometimes that takes me a little bit to get on board. Um, but in a way, so then we end up, we move down here. Okay? And through a series of events, you know, I end up, I worked at, at U.S. Air for, until 2002. Then I went to Philip Morris. And then I ended up going back to being an aircraft mechanic, uh, working for Sonic Aviation. And my point to that is, these were all steps leading me to where I am today. Didn't realize it at the time. There were times I would actually pull out Ezekiel 47, relook at it, and go, I still don't get it. <laughs> this makes no sense. And yet, there was part of me that knew that there was something in there. Approximately six years ago, um, I felt God was speaking to me. I've shared this with some of you before, is I felt God was speaking to me to go into full-time ministry. Now, you have to understand, I'm a mechanic. I am not a people person. I like things that don't talk back to me. I like things that don't interact. Or when they do interact, they interact the same way every time on each airplane. It's the same. You turn the screw this way, it does this. It's easy. People, ah, no, not so much. I think in people, it's exactly the opposite. You try the same thing with two different people or four different people, you'll get four different reactions. Um, but my point being is, and I'm sitting there, and I'm struggling with this whole thing, and I won't even talk to Lisa about it. I won't even write it down. And, I, and for those that know me, I'm going to tell you, when God speaks to you, write it down. Don't wait. Write it down. If God speaks to you this morning, write it down. You have a note sheet in front of you. Borrow a pen. Don't care. Write it down. But I didn't write it down. The reason I didn't write it down, I couldn't get my head wrapped around it. God, this makes no sense to me. 
why would you ask me to be in full-time ministry? I'm not a people person. I'm gruff at times. I don't use all my words. I've heard that a few times around here. Uh, So it makes no sense. But then God reminded me that he didn't call me to do it on myself. And this is where I think we trip up. God never asked you to do it on your own. If he wanted somebody that could do it on on their own, he wouldn't have asked you. And I don't mean that in a bad way. You have to understand that God has called you to do what he's asked you to do, but he's asking you to do it with him. You need to be able to rely on him. You are never, ever to get the glory, okay? It is for his glory that things are done. If you get involved in it and you think you're going to help out, I can just tell you you're going to muddy the waters and you're going to mess it up, okay? And I want to encourage you, if I can in any way, don't sit there and get these preconceived ideas when God speaks to you about doing a particular thing. That, oh, this is what it's going to look like. And you can start jotting things down. In some ways, if the Holy Spirit's leading you, that's a great thing. But if it's you using your own wisdom, your own might, you're going to mess it up. Okay? I want to encourage you to sit there and do what he tells you. We look at these people in the the Old Testament. Let's just take some of the the old people in the Old Testament. You look at Moses. Now, here's a guy... I think it's hilarious. He sits there, knows he's talking to God. He's not talking to an angel. He's not talking to a man. He's talking to God. And what is one of the things that he mentions in there? I can't do this because I can't speak. And God reminds him, who made your tongue? I did. I can probably take care of this. But he argued with him. And he argued with him. And finally, God relents. And says, okay, I'll let your brother Aaron speak for you. And the reason I mention that is because Aaron comes alongside him. And he does help him, sort of. He comes alongside him. He helps him with Pharaoh and helps him with his words. He communicates what needs to be communicated. But what happened when Moses went up on the mountain? Who was it that cast the idol for the Israelites to worship? And caused thousands of people to die. Okay? All because, in my opinion, all because he was asked him to do something he wasn't supposed to do at that time. Yeah, I think that there was a part that Aaron was probably always supposed to be the high priest. But he wasn't ready for it yet. And Moses forced him to be ready for it quicker than he was. And because of that, there was sin that happened. There was death that happened. There was a whole set of circumstances, I believe, that didn't have to happen. We look at David. We look at Gideon. We look at at Esther. You look at all these people within the Bible. None of them could do what they were called to do on their own. I mean, who would call a lowly shepherd, which was one of the lowest class of people in Israel, who would call them to be a king as a young man? Who wasn't even, he wasn't like a renowned person that, you know, hey, look at me. I mean, when, when Samuel asked for his dad to sit there and bring all of his sons, he brought them all but him. 
So the last person that his dad thought would be qualified to do this job, you know, to, to be anointed, was David. And yet that's who God chose. But why did he choose him? God knew his heart. Now, David wasn't perfect, and neither are you. You're going to sit there, and you will make mistakes at times. But God was faithful. He knew what he spoke to you, some of those choices that you're going to make. And yet, that's the reason I want to remind you that those callings that he has put on your life, that he didn't sit there and say, okay, you messed up. I'm pulling it back now. And sometimes, though, within ourselves, that's exactly what we do. We sit there and we say, okay, I've messed up too bad. Not, God can't use me now. Yet God desires to do that. Sorry. And I want to remind you also that this is not a once and done conversation. When God speaks those things to you, go back to him. Say, okay, I understand this part. At least I think I do. Correct me where you need to correct me. Show me exactly what it is that you want me to do. And then, you know, Pastor Scott, we, we talk about the um, how method. And that's what you, if you look at all these guys in the Old Testament, that's exactly what they did. They heard from, from God. They obeyed what he said. But then they had to do something else. They had to take that step of faith and walk. Now, the hard part sometimes is trying to figure out when to take that step and when not. Because there is a timing issue in that. Okay, if I had stepped out 25 years ago, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I think I would have fell completely flat on my face. I wouldn't be here today. And I wouldn't be doing the things that I'm doing because it would have taken a whole different term simply because I stepped in the way. Okay, there is a thing that you have to be open to what God's calling is. That being said, don't wait until you're spiritual enough. Don't wait until you have enough finances. Don't wait until you have all these things. Okay, when this happens, you have to put this checklist together of all these things that need to be in place before I do step out and do what God calls me to do. If you wait for that, I can tell you, we can have the same conversation in 15 years and you will still be sitting there. Okay? I'm challenging you today to hear what God's been speaking to you have conversations with your spouse. <laughs> Sometimes you got to force it if you don't. <laughs> to say, I mean, my wife sat there. I didn't say anything to her for three months about this. And she, out of the blue, comes out and says, hey, what do you think about you going into full-time ministry? And I'm sitting there thinking, if anybody on this planet would have a reason for me not to be in full-time ministry, it would be her. I don't mean that bad. She knows me as well as anybody does. And she knows all the faults and the struggles and all that stuff that I have. And yet, she's the one that brings this up. I honestly believe that the Holy Spirit guided her in that. I, just let me know. It's better for you to have that conversation rather than have your spouse come up there and talk to you because then there's a whole other struggle that happens. Um, but my point being is, I want to encourage you today to sit there, and when God has spoken things, and some of you in this room, I felt this heavy on my heart this week. You know exactly what I'm talking about right now. You know what God has spoken to you, and yet you're struggling with getting your head wrapped around it. You're struggling with seeing how you can do that. 
The whole point of this thing is he didn't ask you to do it. You have to come to that understanding. And that's the reason when we talked earlier about this understanding who Jesus is is so important. Because if you don't understand who Jesus is, you don't understand exactly who the Holy Spirit is. If you don't understand that God loves you, how likely are you to sit there and step out into something God's called you to do when you don't trust him? So first thing I I would say is we've got to make peace with that. You've got to decide who he is for you. Again, not who your parents taught you he was, not to who your friends have taught you he was, but who he was revealing himself to you.